Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And I'm Daphne Yang. I'm a certified personal trainer, certified nutrition counselor, and the creator of Hit It, New York's ultimate high-intensity interval training workout. And before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. Um, if you like our podcast, we like you. Um, and we'll like you even more if you give us a rating, a five-star rating, ideally, on Apple Podcasts. Um, as every podcast you listen to probably tells you, it's a big part of how new people find the show is um, by having good ratings on Apple Podcasts. So we would also like to um, thank you to everybody who's done it already. We really appreciate you. Um, also, we'd like to like hear what you think of the show. So uh, that's a good way to do that too. So rate us on Apple Podcasts, super great way to help the show. Um, so if you're listening to the show in real time, it's coming out on President's Day. Happy President's Day. You too, Joanna. Happy <laughs> President's Day. How are you celebrating? <laughs> um, I'm celebrating by probably having a normal work day because I work from home. Yeah. But... <laughs> <Same> here. <laughs> I think um, President's Day is just a normal Monday for me. Uh, but, um, well, I would guess, do people like work out with you more because they're off work? Oh, so that's actually a great question. I love holiday Mondays um, because what I do is I always end up training pretty much the same amount of clients and doing the same amount of work that one day. But because everyone is off, it's awesome. So instead of me finishing later... I move everyone up and I'm done with my clients by like 3 or 4 p.m. So nice. it's, it's kind of fun. And it's my ideal life. My ideal life is to be done with work at 4 p.m. every day. I'm just putting that out <laughs> to the universe right now. So if every day could be President's Day, I'd be a happy camper. Right. <laughs> well, I'm into it. Um, well, talking about President's Day made me think of something from my physical education past, which is the presidential fitness test. Um <laughs> Did you have that in school? We sure did. So, um, uh, in case anyone, I have no idea. I mean, it was national, so in some ways it feels like probably everyone did it, but it may depend on like what demographic you're in age-wise and maybe in like where you grew up. Obviously, if you didn't grow up in the US, you didn't have this. But the presidential fitness test is like one of my traumatic uh, like memories <laughs> from gym class. Um, because I think it was it was one of the only times in my physical education experience where like our abilities were directly compared to everyone else's. Yeah, um, yeah. Like in general, I don't remember gym being a place where we were like tested. Although in high school, everyone had to take like gym one, uh, and there we actually were like graded based on our abilities, mm -hmm. which to me as like a not particularly sporty person sort of felt unfair. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I don't have these abilities, but someone else maybe doesn't have the same abilities I do in academic classes. And so it's kind of fair if like they get an A in this. It's such an interesting situation. It's like the Hunger Games. You're like, com like pitting elementary school kids against other elementary school kids and rating them and ranking them also we get some national database of just like where kids health uh where everyone's health is is at and it's just so not <laughs> accurate because i remember during those days just totally messing around and being and being so upset that i had to do this because mm -hmm. i felt but but for my own insecurities totally that i had to do this that I totally would be with my group of friends and we would just just totally mock it and we just, like, wouldn't try. Yeah. Um, and I remember the tests were so silly, like, s sitting up and reaching and touching your toes or, like, doing some type of pull-up situation. And, like, what nine-year-old is doing a pull-up? I'm sorry, but, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, holding myself on the bar. But then because I thought this was so stupid, because it's like I was embarrassed that I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, just being like, oh, I can't hold myself up. I'm, I'm done. You know? So Totally. But that was just my personal reaction to well, it. Well, I think that reaction is pretty common. I think it's basically an anxiety magnet for pretty young much. people. Yeah. And um, turns out... Uh, the uh, government organizations agree with us. They don't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, they have a different um, 
a different ways that they are trying to promote, um, f- you know, physical um, fitness among young people. But since a lot of people listening to the show are the age where they would have taken this, I thought we could talk a little bit about the presidential fitness test and what it was made up of originally, what it was made up of when we were kids. And then we are going to scrap all of that and instead come up with the Just One More Fitness Test. And I'll say right away, it's not going to be as clear-cut as the Presidential Fitness Award because that's part of the point. But we are going to talk about some ways that you can, instead of comparing yourself to other people, ways that you can sort of measure your progress as you're going through your fitness life um, or as you're starting your fitness life. Um, because a lot of people listening to this might not have what they would refer to as a fitness life, and that's okay. Um, So uh, the presidential fitness test started in like the late 50s. Um, 1957 is the date I have. And uh, I think the award started being given out in 1966. Um, So the initial version of the president's test, um, the information I could find said it included pull-ups, sit-ups, the standing broad jump, the shuttle run, the 50-yard dash, the softball throw, and the 600-yard run. But when we were taking the test, softball throw was totally out of it. Mm -hmm. The America's pastime was no longer considered important. Uh, And we did um, curl-ups or partial curl-ups, which I think is sit-ups, and they just called them Mm -hmm. curl-ups. Shuttle run, which I think it's like, like... federally mandated that that be done with erasers yeah i feel like i've never seen shuttle run done with anything except chalkboard erasers i know right it's like well i I remember those being just like two orange cones set up and you just kind of ran back and forth yeah the curl-ups i remember or the sit-ups you just like kept your arms over your chest and did you you do the thing where someone sat on your feet yeah 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 (laughs) and i remember like someone either sitting on my feet or you would like stick your toes under the the bleachers is that the right word yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bleachers is a word. <laughs> it's been a while since we were in school, guys. Yeah, it's been a long uh, time. Endurance run slash walk. Mm-hmm. Pull-ups, which they uh, have as either pull-ups or flexed arm hang. That's what I re- one thing I remember is that it was gender divided. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I remember that like, too. Like women were supposed to do flexed arm hang. Where you just hang. You, yeah. Yeah. Which was also hard. Flexed arm hang, meaning it was like... You have the bar, and it's like you're doing a bicep curl, and you're trying to keep your chin above the bar. I remember yeah. that very, very yeah. vividly. Uh, and V-sit, which was also, I that think, was a hamstring stretch. sit and reach, mm-hmm. where you literally like sat with your legs in and a trying v, to touch your toes. And then just saw how flexible mm-hmm. you were. I remember there was like a box with a measurement I thing. I remember that, too. And you like pushed the... Little. Oh my gosh, Joanna. God, what a chapter. This is so crazy. Like, I'm having, like, major memory recall yeah. right now. Well, the reason that, I mean, this is sort of a, it can come off as, like, kind of a niche topic, except <laughs> that I, I really do think that this sits in a lot of people's memories as, like, an early traumatic experience with exercise or mm-hmm. with physical ability um, because it was so much about being compared to other people. So the way you, like, did all these tests and then the way the awards worked were um, you basically got ranked based on how well you did. And if you were in if you were in the 85th percentile or above, that's who got the Presidential Fitness Award. Mm-hmm. If you were above the 50th percentile, you got the National Physical Fitness Award. That's what I got. <laughs> and then if you were below the 50th percentile, you got the Participant <laughs> Physical Fitness Award. Um, to recognize the participation of other students. Right. That's what you have written here. <laughs> that is crazy. So uh, this would be a great time to point out that millennials did not invent the idea of participation yeah, awards. Yeah, totally. We were given them our entire lives. So By the government. Not our fault. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, d- so you basically uh, avoided the whole thing. Because... Yeah, yeah, to the point where, and I have a really photographic memory, to the point where I don't know what I, I don't know if I en- ended up with the presidential or the national or the participant. Chances are, since I was trying to be super cool about it, the participant one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was pretty flexible, though, so I'm sure I was able to reach my toes. But, yeah, and I remember doing this in elementary school and middle school. Yeah. So. I remember I'm, doing it in high school. 
So the middle school, I was probably way more laissez-faire about it. The elementary school one, I probably tried a little bit harder, but it's in middle school that I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> Which it kind of was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It also seemed like no, no one was good at all of them. Yeah. Which is probably good. Mm-hmm. I remember in middle school, I remember a couple very athletic people who were known for being... Um, just like the superstar athletes of the school. And I'm sure they got the presidential then. Probably. They were probably in the 85th percentile. But um, yeah, PE is interesting, isn't it? It totally is. Wish we had it now as adults. How cool would it be to just have an hour every day? It might be cool. It might be terrible. Can I tell you my biggest um, PE success Mm -hmm. was in high school in gym one when we we went through like different units based on different sports. Mm -hmm. And one of them was badminton because (laughs) why wouldn't it be? And I got a partner who was much more athletic than I was, but also badminton is like kind of a specific skill. Yeah. And we won the badminton tournament (laughs) in our gym class, which probably is how I got an A in gym uh, because I was not good at the other things. Uh, so secret, yeah, good, secret badminton talent. Yeah, PE would always get such a bad rep. Like you had to change and then change out of your clothes. And I, I remember even like kind of enjoying athletics, still not loving PE. And then it's really funny because in my adult life, I can't tell you how many times a day I think to myself, oh my gosh, like how cool to create some type of fitness program for children. And I'm like. Oh my god, Jim! That's freaking <laughs> PE. And we all hated our PE teachers, and that's why I am not going into the wonderful world of fitness for children and fitness at schools because I know I would just turn into a PE, and I don't want to be a PE teacher. Yeah, but shout like, out to PE teachers who are doing their best out there. Seriously, because, because it's not an easy job. It's passion. Um, but what I do now, it's kind of like PE. Yeah, PE for grownups. <laughs> PE for grownups. Uh, I think the like. It's really tricky to do anything having to do with your body, especially in, in like, surrounding puberty. Mm-hmm. Like, from sixth grade totally. on. I agree. Like, I can't imagine trying to get kids to do stuff that have to do with their physical body because mm-hmm. they're so detached from it because they're like, I don't understand what's going on. It's embarrassing. Like, I just don't want to think about it. Yeah. And then to be, like, change in a room of other people and then sweat a bunch. Right. And then, like, I don't know about you, but, like, we didn't have the option to shower after PE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we just get, either. like, super sweaty and then go to the rest of our day. Yeah. It was crazy. When I, my, we had to take two credits of gym in high school and my second one was lifeguarding, which was great. We, like, because we had a, a pool in our uh, ancient uh, high school and we, basically, the class, like, got us lifeguard certified mm-hmm. i was like i'm getting an actual thing out That's of this cool. but it did involve a lot of being in swimsuits in yeah. high school yeah and then you didn't even have a shower for after you swam we did pool. have a shower after so, the pool. yeah we yeah. had we so it was the same with us too mm-hmm. yeah not the rest of the time but after yeah. the pool the pool portion <laughs> <laughs> um they used to do gym naked oh dear god when they had oh god, like or not, not gym but they used to swim naked that's when so they had like gender divided <laughs> Fayette classes. That's, I would still be horrified. <laughs> At least boys did. Like I don't know the if last girls thing did. I would ever want to do. Yeah, not great. No. Anyway, that was not part of the presidential fitness test. Just talking about gym. So, uh, reasons we don't like the presidential fitness test. One, um, comparing your fitness to other people is like a recipe for hating fitness. Yeah. Um, and causing disordered ideas about bodies and abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the actual, like, content of the test, like the exercises and stuff? Well, in terms of the actual content, I mean, some are okay in the sense that some were, you know, push-ups, and uh, that that is something that I think is can be a benchmarker for actual strength gains. But then the other ones, like, touch your toes, and the other thing, like, um, you know, hang on to this bar for as long as you can, not that, super functional. It's just not really functional. Unless and, you're like uh, an action hero who's like going to have to hang on to the side of buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones the ones involving like directly involving strength and and also kind of the endurance like running. Um, those I would say are okay. 
Uh, that being said, there are so, so many better ways to measure your fitness levels. And then here's another thing I have to say. There are better ways, and, and luckily they've figured this out too, that measuring the fitness levels of children, uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school, much better ways than, than this. Yeah. Like, they're, they're trying to get a national average of, like, where kids are at with these, like, five tests. It's near, nearly impossible. Yeah. yeah. Nearly impossible. And also, we don't want to be telling kids early on, like, your body is a competition. That too. You know? Like that, that sort of strikes me as not a great message. Mm-hmm. It instills a lot of insecurities and it, inst- it brings up a lot. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, you may as well just have every student line up in front of a scale and step yeah. on a scale in front of everyone else. Just to be clear, like, we are not advocating that. No, no. That's like, yeah, that's, we are, just throw, the, yeah, that's, we're going the opposite direction of that. But um, I do think that from a psychological perspective, that this is really, I'm, I'm very glad that they no longer do this. So. So here, just one more. We're going to do something else. So we are going to come up with a bunch of ideas for what can be your just one more fitness test. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not going to be one collection of exercises because that's sort of a flawed system. But any of us who are... Um, exercising or you know you know doing strength training or doing endurance training or any of that stuff or just like going trying to get off our couch and like make a difference in our um, physical well-being one of the things that helps you figure out or I think one of the things that like keeps you feeling rewarded is um, taking time to measure your progress absolutely um, and you we do things for rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing we've talked about before is like, if you remove the, like the supposed reward, which is held up for fitness all the time of weight loss. If you remove weight loss from, as a way to like judge how you're doing, what else can you use? So our just one more fitness test will not involve weight loss. It's not going to involve comparing yourself to other people, but it is going to be several ideas of things that you can do to benchmark your fitness gains for yourself. Um, So I want to first talk about how to do it for someone who has spent the last five years on their couch watching Netflix. Mm -hmm. So they are starting from zero. They don't think of themselves as a fitness person. um, And they're just, 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 just starting. Mm -hmm. What I recommend in this situation, time or distance, pick one first. Time can be 10 minutes, walking around your block, walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes. Um, Distance can be going for um, an actual, like, block, like going down, making a right turn out of your driveway, and then the left, and then the left, and then the left, until you make kind of like a square, Mm -hmm. and end up back at your house. Um, Maybe that's a half mile, maybe that's a full mile, who knows, just based on where you live, or where you live in the city, where you live in the suburbs. Pick one first. Start with one. Either time or distance. If you want to do distance, then just pick a little route and stick to that for a while. If you want to pick time, start with 10 minutes. And then move and walk. Don't even worry about jogging just yet. Just move your body. And then what you want to do is do that um, a few times a week and then you measure it getting easier. With the distance, you might realize that you're able to get back to your house a little bit quicker. With the time, maybe you realize you are able to cover more ground during that time, if that makes sense. Example, say you wanted to go out for 10 minutes and you're going to walk five minutes one direction and you're going to walk five minutes back. Well, maybe you realize when you walk five minutes in one direction, as you are able to move faster, as your mobility goes up, you are able to get further out away from your house at the five minute mark before you have to turn around and come back. So pick one, time or distance, and then make sure you try to do it um, either every day or every other day. With walking, you can walk every day. Um, You guys know at Just One More, I always talk about how you never want to do the same thing twice in a row. Like you never want to do bicep curls on Monday and then bicep curls on Tuesday. With walking, cardio like this, it's okay. You can do this on consecutive days. Um, And so start with time or distance. That's a great suggestion. And a good suggestion, honestly, for people at any level of fitness in terms of, um, like, runners can use this, um, time or distance. Uh, 
joggers can use this. Um, cross country skiers could use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good good benchmark time or distance. Um, what about um, in terms of strength gains? One of the things that I think is kind of compelling about the presidential fitness test is it has some elements where it's like, how many pull-ups can you do? How many push-ups can you do? It feels really like quantifiable. Yeah. Um, you get a number. And I think it's timed. Mm-hmm. Well, the pull-up, I think, was not timed, but I feel like the crunches were timed. Were they? I don't remember. It was like, how many could you do in a certain amount of time? But anyway, it was like a specific exercise um, that was very quantifiable. Do you have strength exercises that sort of, to you, definitely like <laughs> put, put, combined sort of give you like a rough idea of like Absolutely. where you are? Absolutely. Um, so this is something I do with my clients. So I'll just tell you guys what I do with every client, no matter where they are, even if they tell me that they've been running and working out for the past six years, or if they're a beginner, this is what I start with. I start with these moves. I start with a squat, a bench squat, meaning or a chair squat, meaning you sit and then you just stand up. Um, a squat, in terms of how many I have them do, I'll get into that in a little okay. bit. These are the moves, though, okay. to test strength. I look for squats. I do have them try push-ups to see if they can just lift their own body weight. And the plank. The plank! The all-important plank that we did not do during the presidential fitness exam. In terms of all the back exercises, like the pull-ups and stuff, I don't even touch that because what I do is I actually do a posture assessment first. Mm. So in terms of testing that, then um, I'll tangent, I'll circle back to the planks and the squats and the push-ups in a second. But I have them stand against a wall and I see how challenging it is for them to stand up straight with their entire head, upper back, and lower back touching the wall. You'd be surprised at how many people are unable to do that. Mm-hmm. in our day and age of technology when we're hunched over computers and iPhones all the time. So what I have everyone do is um, I have everyone perform 20 squats and I have them perform 20 push-ups and I try to have everyone hold a 30-second plank. I try to have everyone do this three rounds through and I write it all down, like how it went, mm-hmm. like how did it go down. Sometimes it <laughs> goes great, sometimes it, it it's a struggle. Um, sometimes it's easy peasy and then that, then I know, okay, obviously we're not starting with this. Maybe someone maybe already has been working out a very long time. Um, and we have our baseline. We have our start. So that's what I recommend. The four things I recommend are those three exercises and then doing a posture test. Um, listening to those exercises, I would imagine that some people are vastly uneven. Like for example, Mm -hmm. for me, if you were like, Joanna, do this test, like squats, I'd probably be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, push-ups, like when you said 20 push-ups, I was like, ah, Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) that would be really hard for me. I definitely couldn't do full push-ups. I could probably do 20 modified push-ups. I would be real tired by the end of three Mm -hmm. rounds, but like, because I want to impress you, I would like try, (laughs) but you'd probably see through my facade um 30 seconds of plank I could do but like that's like three totally different levels of um ability that's and comfort. a huge point so example if I were to have a guy doing this who's never really done squats before um and this statement it's it's not so general but just guys can do push-ups really well mm-hmm. so and, and it's a familiar movement for them Right, so in which is probably classes, both physical and socialized for sure, <laughs> exactly. Which is exactly what I I mean, mm-hmm. right? A push up, it's like they've done a push up at some point in time in their lives. So, example like my hit it classes. When I get guys, I mean sometimes their jump squat form is just deplorable. Like <laughs> the concept of sitting back into a squat, mm-hmm. and um, and you and I grew up as dancers, so we know how to do that. We know how to we know our bodies. If you tell a guy who's maybe been playing sports his whole life and done some push-ups, you know, but to do a perfect squat, I mean, it's like the notion of sticking your butt back and getting your weight into your heels. They feel like they're falling. They're, some of them can't even do that, and they just go straight down where they're not even sticking their butt out. But then tell them to do 20 push-ups, and they're totally fine. And then we get to the push-up portion of hit it, and they're like, oh, finally, right? <laughs> so with these, Whereas I would be like, no, go back to squats, please. So with my assessment, with this, like, with my strength test... Starting off with these squats, 
the thing with the squats is not only do they tell me where someone's hamstring and lower back and glute strength is, but it also gives me an idea of their agility and their um, coordination and just like what their bodies are familiar with. But yeah, for the most part, Joanna, when a guy, when I put them through just a super basic assessment to kick things off, uh, squats are always a mess and then the push-ups are always totally fine. Core strength varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm doing this not with you, but I'm doing it with my mm-hmm. on my own, um, I'm definitely going to want to like, you know, look in a mirror to make sure my form is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about form for these exercises in a lot of episodes. You can go back and find our improve your form episode. Um, but um, like, for example, like I very well might not get up to 20 push-ups before mm-hmm. sort of burning out. Yeah. And so in that case, then you write it down. I write down the number and then next time I do it, I see if I can do more. Yep, exactly. Um, and then in terms of doing this, the three full sets, that's not even that necessary. Um, I do the three full sets of everything just because they, people do want to get a workout when they meet right. with me for the first time. So, um, but I still do write it down. So I'll write down, were we able to get through three rounds of 20 squats? Generally, yes. Were we able to get through three rounds of 20 push-ups? No, no, you know. Or (laughs) if it's a guy, the squats, like, they, maybe we did get through three rounds, but they looked awful by the third (laughs) round and just not comfortable. But maybe the push-ups were fine. Mm -hmm. Maybe the planks, you know, like I said, plank form varies, really varies from person to person. I would say core strength um, is pretty gender neutral in terms of uh, where the strength lies but I would recommend for you just one more listener at home you can start with it one round and then just have that write it all down and then go through whatever fitness program it is you want to go through whether it's working out four days a week whether it's doing um kind of like what you do Joanna like a couple spin classes some cardio and then strength workouts and then like a yoga workout do that for four weeks and then retest and then try it again and you'd be shocked at how, how things change. Or things might not, and that's okay. <laughs> like, that's the thing, you know. Um, example with push-ups, you, you have to factor in so many things, like your shoulder, you know. Right. Oh, speaking like to, injuries. Yeah, and, I have a long-running shoulder injury, which is one of the reasons push-ups are really hard for me. But it's also one of the reasons I haven't worked harder on push-ups mm-hmm. is because I'm trying not to irritate that shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be a way to figure out if, like, what you're doing is giving you the results that you want. I mean, if if one of your goals, like I know a lot of people who are like, my goal is to be able to do full push-ups. Mm-hmm. So then like you want the things that you're doing in your strength workouts to be like helping exactly. you achieve that goal. Absolutely, yeah. So then you have to like keep trying Which so you I, know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, tangenting off of that, I do think it's important to work on push-up strength and core strength and um, squat strength just as to be a, a functioning human. So that's why I do think that if you were to do this test once and then you were to do it in four weeks, do squats and push-ups and planks in your workout routines. That way you can measure it and then still work on... Yes, that's a very good point, Joanna, because if you were to just do those things, but then just walk maybe for four weeks or maybe just do yoga... It might not get any better. Yeah, it might not get as much better as it could. Mm -hmm. So... Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's some good ideas for how to test our um, strength gains. Um, what about um, some of the tests in the um, presidential fitness test talk about are like an agility test. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was going to ask if you have ideas for testing like your agility or balance. Yeah. Agility is a tricky one. And mm-hmm. once again, completely varies from person to person. Um, so agility is sort of like how quickly you can like agility, I would say is coordination Mm. and, um, agility is the the moving with ease. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I, I, I still say coordination is probably the biggest thing that ties in with agility. That's a good way to put it. So I have found, um, working with people who started doing something physical at childhood and they're adults now huge difference huge 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 difference um so parents (laughs) so my kids will definitely be taking dance classes right like that's um something that I've noticed working with adults who are between the ages of anywhere from in their late 20s to early 60s um I have a client who literally is like 62 and she danced when she was younger 
not even not professionally or anything. Mm-hmm. But like her body awareness, it's it's like it's crazy. And she's sixty two, you mm-hmm. know, so agility, 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 agility. Um, when it comes to agility, I think that uh, one thing I will say though is that it can be improved tremendously because muscle memory is a very powerful thing and you can absolutely teach an old dog new tricks, right? So um, so say someone is 40 and starting off with some agility movements, agility movements, high knees, skater jumps, single leg movements, compound exercises in which you're doing multiple things at once, like lunging with a bicep curl all the time at the same time. That's when I consider agility. Agility, I would consider maybe a three-part exercise where you're doing a shoulder press into a burpee and then you do a row and then a row. You know, like that's what I consider agility. Skater jumps, I really consider agility. Balance, totally separate thing. Totally separate thing, but they can still go hand in hand. So to challenge someone's balance, once again, I found that that does go, it does stem back to childhood. Um, and that some people are, have better balance than others. That being said, it can be completely taught. So what I do with my clients specifically, when it comes to me challenging their balance, single leg exercises. Here's the single leg exercise I'm going to recommend. Not even lunges. It's called a split squat, which I've mentioned this to you before. It looks like you're lunging. Mm -hmm. You lunge first to get into it. So one leg is forward and one leg is behind you. But the goal is to just bend the knees down and then stand up and bend the knees down and stand up and bend the knees down and stand up. We can, we can include a link. So it looks like you're just staying in the same lunge and just straightening your legs and bending your legs. So yes, if everyone's visualizing a lunge right now, yes, that's what you're doing. But because you're staying there, it's technically speaking called a split squat. So what I have clients do when I'm testing their balance, I see if they can do 15 split squats. Everyone is always toppling over. <laughs> it's, they're so hard. Mm-hmm. But see, the thing is, with your balance, then you have to suck in your glutes and um, suck in your belly, and then the balance gets better, and then the coordination and your brain start to kick in. So the my move for um, balance uh, and agility, I would say with this one, is a single leg split squat. The next move for balance Stand barefoot. This is another thing I have my clients do. Stand barefoot on, or, or not, if you're in a gym and you don't want to take off. Actually, if you're in a gym, you know, just keep your sneakers on. Yeah, please. Please keep your sneakers on. For everyone else, but mostly for you. Find something squishy like a BOSU ball. Those are those, those like... are those blue balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. They are. <laughs> oh, no. I said that. <laughs> They're blue-colored balls. They are. It is a blue half dome. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it's a blue half dome that most gyms have. Some gyms will also just have a, a um, they're, they're, it's just a rectangular kind of like squishy foam thing. And just stand on it with one leg and see how long you can balance on <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Blooper reel. Blooper, um, whatever, yeah. I'm leaving it in. They're blue half balls, actually. <laughs> it's a BOSU ball. It stands for, it's B-O-S-U, which stands for both sides utilized. Hmm. So you can, it's easier if the blue side is up, it's harder if the blue side is down. See if you can balance on one leg with the blue side up for 30 seconds. If you are at home and you do not have access to a blue BOSU ball, (laughs) stand barefoot and stand barefoot on one leg and see if you can do an upper body exercise like bicep curls or shoulder press on one leg. Mm. And there's my balance test for you guys. So um, starts with a standing split squat or balancing on one leg while either not doing something else or doing something else. And for a lot of these, for some of them, it's like how many can you do? But for most of these, it's going to be sort of you evaluating for yourself, like how how easy is this for me to do or yes. how difficult? Yeah. So you might want to, if you're interested in doing some of these tests for yourself, you probably are going to need to like keep a journal. That's a great point, Joanna, because if we're just going for time, if someone, someone could literally stand on a BOSU then for an hour, mm-hmm. right? You want to go with how it feels. If you're doing, if you decide to do, do this just one more test and retest in four weeks, um, write down how you felt doing it. Maybe take, um, maybe set up your or your phone so that you videotape yourself doing it and mm-hmm. then you videotape yourself doing it again. Whether it's the squats or the push-ups or the plank or the single leg split squat or the single leg balance 
on the BOSU or just the squishy rectangular blue foam pad or at home. What if you take a video of yourself, measure your level of progress that way, but then I also recommend just like in life, a lot of times I personally don't love, um, you and I are both kind of like this. We don't love numbers. Mm-hmm. They, they can be awesome. Like they can give you so much instant gratification sometimes, but, um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes maybe you felt totally wobbly balancing on your left leg, doing a shoulder press in your apartment with five pound dumbbells four weeks ago. And then now, here you are standing on your same left leg doing shoulder press in your apartment four weeks later, and you're just rock solid. That's your success right there. Mm -hmm. You know? Totally. All right. Well, let's move on to um, some stuff for runners. So if you're a runner, I mean, we've already sort of talked about, like, time and distance, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure are still true for runners. Are there other things that you would tell runners to look at Mm -hmm. to measure their improvement? So I'm going to kind of break this up also into treadmill versus outside. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I actually, um, I don't hate on treadmills. I know we've kind of like talked about this before. (laughs) I hate on ellipticals. No, just kidding. kidding. (laughs) No, I um, I don't. But I mean, you um, do. I do. But But it's fine. So with treadmills, um, it's, it's very seasonal with you and I and treadmill talk sometimes in the summers when you and I are recording, I'm like, get off the treadmill. You know, we love being outdoors. Running outdoors is so much better for you. And then here we are in the dead of winter and treadmill workouts have like saved my life, you know, or not saved my life, but treadmill they workouts. Might have if you I've had some awesome treadmill workouts. And you if know? you had been running outside in the sleet, yeah, yeah. maybe you could have hurt yourself. Totally, totally. So um, I'm going to break this up into ways we can measure running outdoors and ways we can measure your running fitness on a treadmill. So let's start with outdoors. Um, So in terms of where this is for a person who maybe enjoys running already recreationally. Mm -hmm. Let's let's start there. Okay. So someone who they're not just starting, they're not just starting out. Yeah. Someone who is um, recreationally um, enjoying running. First things first, if you're doing outdoors, same thing. I like to go for time or distance or pick the running route. Pick the running route that you'd like to conquer in the next four weeks. Is it Prospect Park? Is it the lower loop in Central Park? Um, is it from your house to the middle school and then back? You know, I'm, I'm literally just pulling arbitrary stuff out. <laughs> when I from... was um, in the house where I grew up and where my parents still live, there are two golf courses mm-hmm. nearby that are, like, within the city boundaries, so they have really, um, like, straight edges. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to run around either the big golf course, the little golf course, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. both golf yeah. courses. perfect, yeah. So like that, everyone has a course in their neighborhood, and you can plot out the course yourself. And the course doesn't have to be a circle. It can be what I call an out or what we call an out and back. And an out and back is literally when you just run out and then you stop and then you turn around and you come back. So, so in start in terms of starting, pick your course. Don't even think like, uh, oh, um, it's it's a five k or a ten k or just pick your course. You can map it out later. You can figure out how long it is later on mm-hmm. uh, if you don't already know. That's okay. Um, pick your course and then. Start by running it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick and 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 then keep a journal, keep a journal, and then in four weeks after maybe doing that course a couple times a week, see how long that course took you, or, uh, and and time it, time it, right, time it because why not? And it doesn't even have to be anything fancy. I think a lot of people now have something. I mean, if you have an iPhone, you already have a lot of tracking mm-hmm. stuff with you anyway. A lot of people use something like RunKeeper or MapMyRun. Um, I have a Fitbit that can do distance and stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't even have to be that. All it would have to be is you starting your like stopwatch on your phone or an actual stopwatch mm-hmm. when you start yeah. and stopping it when you stop. I would literally, when I, prior to like devices and everything and, and Garmin's and Fitbit's and watches when I was young... I would just look at the clock when I left, and then I would just look at the clock at in my house. an actual clock? I know, right? And I would just see what time I got back after doing my little run down the block, and then up the hill, and then to the middle school, and then like a, a lap around the the park, or the, you know, and then back, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my gosh, I did it in 27 minutes today? Cool. Versus 30? Mm-hmm. Three weeks ago? Awesome. And then, you know, then you can push it. Then you can either add on more or you can try to c- continue beating it, get back mm-hmm. faster. 
Um, that being said, like, say you do it again in four weeks, like, sometimes people have off days. Totally. You know? Yeah. It's sometimes, not going to be a straight Like, don't put, yeah, don't time. put so much on the time. Mm-hmm. Put it on how you feel. And then say you do have a bad day where you're like, oh, it's the day I have to test myself and I'm kind of under the weather and I'm tired and I'm kind of sick. Okay, well, maybe do it the next day then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, so that's what I recommend for running outdoors. For running outdoors, conquer a course. On a treadmill, um, pick time or distance and then pick what, and then write down how you feel. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you're going for distance first, how long does it take you to get through a mile or a mile and a half or two? Right? Write it down. Write down how you felt. Um, if you're going for time, say, I want to go 20 minutes on the treadmill. I'm just going to stay on this freaking machine for 20 minutes. I'm not letting myself get off. And then at the end, see what distance you ended up going. Did you go 1.56 miles? Did you go 1.47? Did you go one? Did you go two? Did you go 2.4? Write it down. And then in four weeks, do that exact same thing again after you've been training, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's how I like to measure for all my clients. I just start with one. But then just stick with whatever that one was, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I have a client right now, um, uh, you know, his goal was just to do two miles on the treadmill, um, two miles on the treadmill, you know? And so we started and that took like 30 plus minutes mm-hmm. before. Um, and then now we're able to, he's able to do two miles on his own. And this is like do, also doing cardio on his own. Cause when I see him, I like strength train and we do high intensity interval training and um, you know, now I'm being able to do it in 22 minutes versus 30, right? It's pretty great. So like that's, that's, um, just to kind of give an, a, uh, a nice visual for mm-hmm. that. That's how we do the running. Totally. Yeah. Um, what about if you, uh, I know, um, we've talked before about using heart rate monitors yeah. to judge or to help test sort of your fitness progress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, a, a lot more people have access to some version of heart rate monitor mm-hmm. now as smart watches get more popular. So if you are using some form of heart rate monitor, how can you use that? I love heart rate monitors. Um, I started running with a heart rate monitor when I was maybe 23. So um, (laughs) two years ago. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, No, so I started running with a heart rate monitor pretty much right when I dove into the world of like professional personal training and coaching and all that jazz. I was given a, um, it was a gift from a client. I had never trained with a heart rate monitor before. Um, even all throughout college, but then again, they weren't that big yet. Yeah. So my or very... they were too big. Exactly. <laughs> but in size. Exactly. So my very first heart rate monitor was like, like a bright red polar, and I had a chest strap and everything, and to see where that has come in ten years, <laughs> I just aged myself. <laughs> so <laughs> to fine. see to see where that um, to see now. We don't need chest straps anymore. I mean, even in recent years since we've started the podcast, you can listen back to previous episodes where I'm still running with a chest strap. We don't even need the chest strap anymore. It's so awesome. Between all the watches and Fitbits and Apple Watches and Garmin's now, everything is able to accurately measure your heart rate from your wrist. That did not exist 10 years ago. Totally. That We're both exist, wearing like, things on our wrists know, right now that can I'm, monitor I'm our heart rate. I'm checking my heart rate right now. Oh, where am I? I love, I love checking my heart rate. It's amazing how addictive... It can be, um, and why heart rate training is so cool. Okay, so I'll explain. Let me kind of quantify. What are you at right now? <laughs> Let's see. I'm at mine 70. Is, mine is measuring, measuring, measuring. Mine's taking a little bit longer to pick it up. Maybe also, you don't have a heart. I Maybe I just don't have a pulse. I know, but f- when I was doing cardio earlier, and this might be because this, this model of this Apple Watch is a little bit older. So I think it's like maybe losing. Maybe I need to clean it so that it's... Oh, 123. <laughs> that can't be right. That's wrong. That's that's wrong. That that doubled it. Daphne is running on a treadmill that, as we record this. That doubled my heart rate. I think I'm that, that must have doubled it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably around 60 something right now. Um, anyway. Well, that being said, heart rate monitors, sometimes they, depending on... Sometimes they need to be a little bit wet. Mm. to um, pick up an accurate read. And then sometimes the device goes haywire. Totally true. And then true. sometimes, yeah. Anywho, tangenting. So let's go <laughs> back to... If you have to, a functioning heart rate monitor. If you have a functioning heart rate monitor. Um, heart rate monitor training is so cool. And it, it's... Here's why I love it. I figured out I loved heart rate monitor tracking and training 
when I got my very first heart rate monitor and I had already been a runner and I remember starting to run in Central Park around this time as well. Um, I hadn't really ran Central Park too much and all of a sudden I was faced with these hills that I wasn't getting on the East River. And I remember going up those hills. Oh, I'm at 65. I'm at 65. Yeah, so I'm good. Resting heart rate's good. It did double it. That's so interesting. Um, so I remember going up those hills, Joanna. Everyone remembers like their first few times going up Cat Hill and Harlem Hill in Central Park. These hills are no joke. They're terrible. They're terrible. They're crazy. When I did the Manhattan half, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I want to jump off a bridge. Yeah. And then there's people, there are people in San Francisco right now who are like, you don't know hills. I know. And then people in like the, the, in like, um, woodsy areas who are probably like Daphne. It's cat. It's called Cat Hill. Like, come on, Harlem Hill. Um, okay, but for uh, for me at the time, I remember looking at my heart rate. The very first time I went up Harlem Hill, and I felt like my lungs were going to burst. I felt like my heart was burning. My legs were on fire. And then I looked at my heart rate. And I, I kid, I must have been at like 190. Like that's how hard my heart was working. Yeah. Okay. And just continuing to train and continuing to run Central Park, running Central Park. And Joanna, I kid you not, a month later, it was the coolest thing to run up Cat Hill and Harlem Hill, see that my heart rate was lower than the very first time. And that I was still running at a good pace and still feeling kind of like that nice little burn in my lungs. It felt a little bit easier, still running at about the same pace, but my heart wasn't working quite as hard. And that's how I knew I was getting fitter Mm -hmm. because my heart was not at like 190. It was like I was pushing up this hill and I was breathing well Mm -hmm. and I was powering up with my with my thigh muscles, with my core muscles, and my lungs were expanded, and I was getting in the oxygen, and I was at like one like fifty, and I was like, oh, and I get it, I I got it right then and there. All of a sudden, you can see that you're running fast and you're running hard, but your heart rate is going down. Mm-hmm. It's different from the very first time. So a way to do this is like if you if you are running and if you're sprinting, and the very first time you sprint, you see your heart rate spikes up to like a one eighty. And then, like, four weeks later, you're sprinting again. You see you're actually able to sprint, but your heart is at, like, 160. That's awesome. And then, you know, push it harder. Right. You want to get to that 180 to push yourself harder. Like, that's so great. Something you've said to me before, and correct me if this is wrong, is that one of the ways that you can use heart rate monitors to sort of judge if you're getting fitter is if you're at the same beats per minute, but it feels easier. Exactly. Yes, that's another thing, too. So, um, example, so say... 160 maintaining yes that that's thank you Joanna mm-hmm. so maintaining like a tempo pace of having your heart rate pumping at like 160 which is high and you and I talk about tempo training mm-hmm. um uh, just a quick tangent you know with intervals and tempo runs it's t- a tempo run is when you try to kind of sustain a high heart rate for like a good chunk of time like five minutes ten minutes maybe a mile in the middle of your run um when you start to do these intervals when you start to do these tempo runs Um, you might realize like the very first time your heart rate hits 160, oh my gosh, you're out of breath. And then over time, all of a sudden you're at 160 and you're like, oh my gosh, I can handle this. My body is strong. My lungs are strong. My body is better optimizing the usage of oxygen and the 160 doesn't feel as challenging. And then you take it up to 170. Then you push yourself a little harder and you just keep going. Cool. So that's why heart rate monitor training is really cool. Another reason why we can use heart rate monitor training as like a quantifiable start of like, um, uh, like a fitness test. So example, so say you are working out or you are doing cardio, um, whether it's a machine you love or whether you're running outdoors, pay attention to, um, when things feel really challenging and like match that number. So exactly like what you said. So maybe for someone it's like, hitting 135 beats per minute, uh, per minute. Oh my gosh. It's saying 135 on your watch and you're like, Oh, I'm panting. I'm panting and panting a couple weeks later. Keep doing it. You hit 135. You're like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm good. Totally. And you can push it. Yeah. Well, the last thing that you, uh, Oh, you added another thing. The second to last thing, uh, that you suggested is the sort of more mental and emotional, um, ways that you can, um, 
test your fitness progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes things like how you're sleeping Yep, and your stress levels. This is so on brand with just one more podcast and with me and you. Um, you know, we listed so many amazing, kind of like fun and quantifiable, fun and um, kind of numbery mm-hmm. things that we know everyone loves. People love stuff like that. Um, you know, because it's... It, Progress is rewarding. Progress is incentive. And when you make progress, you are more likely to stick with something if it feels like you are actually making fitness gains and progressing in life, Mm -hmm. right? It's easier to stick with things if you feel like you're moving forward. If you're Mm -hmm. growing, growth, right? Fitness growth is like what we're talking about. That being said, as much as I love all of that, I love being able to quantify progress with fitness, with the mental emotional aspect of it. Because for me, that's where it really resonates with me. Um, You know, everyone knows fitness completely saved my life from a mental and emotional standpoint. So what I like to always ask my clients as the weeks progress and we've been training and they've been incorporating fitness and wellness and some routine into their lives, I always check in with them about a few things, how they're sleeping. Are they able to fall asleep faster? Is their quality of sleep better? Um, uh, are they sleeping maybe like, are they able to hit whatever six to eight hours, maybe when they were only hitting three or four before, you know, you'd be surprised how many people are functioning on so little sleep. Um, uh, thinking about stress levels. I always ask clients in terms of their stress levels, where their stress levels are at. I ask them, um, how their quality of life at work is. Are they sharper at work? Do they need less coffee throughout the day? Do they need less caffeine throughout the day? Do they have that craving for that 4 p.m. sugary snack? Is that craving gone? Because with all the working out we've been doing, maybe it's balanced your hormones and your mood so that you're not quite so depressed or so bored or so lethargic or so miserable at 4 p.m. that you need a treat, right? So, um focus and then I ask like how are your happiness levels that's Mm -hmm. like so important to me like legitimately how is your mood how's your interaction with your significant other how are your interactions with your children how are your interactions with like the people around you and if that has improved because of uh you know from week one to week four maybe everyone grab your journal right now and just write down where you're feeling from a mental and emotional level in terms of stress, sleep, and quality of life at work and relationship to your family members. And then also start your fitness test at the same time. And then at the end of the four weeks, in addition to doing like a little treadmill test or a squat test, but like do a little check-in with yourself about how you're sleeping, how your stress levels are, like where's your happiness? Um, And then uh, 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 where are your anxiety levels? And that for me, for me personally, that that is such a huge part of the equation as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that gives us some really good um, different versions of the Just One More Fitness test. Definitely. So I'm going to do a little takeaway, mm-hmm. um, which is that uh, the presidential fitness test is a fun shared memory that many of us have, but is not what we really want to be doing in order to judge how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh So instead, um, Daphne gave us a bunch of suggestions for how we can benchmark our own fitness gains, including uh, working for time or working for distance, um, going through her suggestion of um, strength exercises, and then seeing how we do um, four weeks later after Mm -hmm. we've been like working on our strength stuff. We can do some single leg stuff to work on our agility and balance. we can use heart rate monitors if we're into that, see if we can get it so that the same uh, heart rate feels a lot easier. Um, and then we can just like, you know, see how our quality of life is. Keep track of your stress levels and how you're sleeping and how just how you're feeling in general and see if adding, you know, if working on uh, fitness changes that in a good way. Fitness gains oftentimes correlate with happiness gains in like a very positive way. Mm -hmm. So I think here at Just One More, 
when you go on this president or this just one more, not presidential fitness test, but the just one more fitness test journey, my advice is to, in addition to strengthening your legs and your muscles and your cardiovascular endurance and your agility and balance, see if you can strengthen your quality of life with your mental outlook on life and your moods and um, your overall balance. Thanks, Taffy. This is a question from our listener named Maddie. Maddie says, hello, listener question for you. How does one not eat too late at night if your life doesn't allow you to go home until closer to 9 p.m.? I'm just getting out of work at 6, so do I have dinner on the go before my gym class? Feels like a lot to eat before a bunch of burpees. Feel you there. Uh, And then what if I'm hungry after class? What are ideal times to be eating to optimize for fat burn? Thanks. Amazing question. Amazing person. Um, Maddie is one of my favorite humans on the planet. So thanks, Maddie, (laughs) for writing in this awesome question. Okay, so this is so huge. This is literally a dilemma of, I would say, the majority of humans I know, um, the majority of Hit It students I have, the majority of clients, uh, the majority of people who live in New York City, not eating too late at night when we have our evening workout. I This resonates a lot with me, too, because... Um, you have the same I, thing, but with I'm teaching. I'm very open about this, how... Um, one thing that um, is a struggle is, is eating late at night because of scheduling. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, you know, not getting home from work until 9 p.m., not finishing teaching until 8, and then, you know, rounding out the class, finishing, talking to all my students, not being on the subway until 8.30, and then walking in the door at 9, and... Um, then stretching and foam rolling and showering. I mean, that's dinner. That's pushing dinner to 10 p.m. Right. So um, that being said, I've I've made a lot of adjustments and I don't work as late anymore. So yay. But but it was because of this. Mm-hmm. It was because I was. I literally thought to myself, I cannot do this any longer. Um, I will not for the, my own sake and for the sake of like my husband and my own personal life I do not want to be walking in the door at 9 p.m. and and you guys even heard me joke at the beginning of the episode I want to be done with work at 4 p.m. every day <laughs> for the rest of my life and I'm putting that out into the universe um, and I'm making it happen so um Maddie this is I have some some good tips for this one and I'll keep this one really short and sweet in terms of timing of food and timing food with workouts this is really critical and here's what I'm going to recommend in this situation for all the girls who take 6 p.m 7 p.m workout classes who then don't get home or dudes or or dudes yeah um who don't get home until 9 p.m here is my like new protocol for you working out on a full stomach especially a, a a tough class it's completely counterproductive. You're not going to have a good workout. We have this notion in our minds. We've been essentially brainwashed by like these companies that we have to eat so much before we work out. Like we need to have a yogurt. We need to have the snack. We need to have snacks. We need to have snacks. Oh, we power need to have shake. Snacks. Yeah, you need a shake. You need a. Um, you need. Oh, our blood sugar is going to dip. Our blood sugar is going to dip. I need to have a granola bar. Um, we're essentially just pumping our bodies full of carbohydrates and sugar, and our bodies are never going to burn any of their own stored body fat if we always have glucose in our system. We essentially need to kill the glucose response. So here's what I'm going to recommend. We have this notion like, oh, our blood sugar is going to drop and we're going to feel dizzy and faint and lightheaded during the workout. Fact of the matter is, the majority of Americans, for us to dip into true low blood sugar, takes a lot more than a workout. For us to truly dip into low blood sugar, it means you pretty much have to be hypoglycemia. You have to have um, hypoglycemia. The majority of us don't. If you do another topic, another episode, if you are able to. I'm not saying to do a workout on an empty stomach. I'm saying that. To optimize your workout, to let your body tap into its own fat burning stores is key. So before a workout, if you already had lunch that day, you don't need to work out. You don't need to really eat a big snack at like 5 p.m. 
um, your body is going to be diverting so much of its energy towards digesting the snack that you're that it's going to degrade the quality of your workout. This is going to sound crazy. I recommend having some water with a little bit of pink Himalayan sea salt in it, and then maybe and then some lemon or lime juice. Um, and then if that that tastes if that sounds really weird to you, throw in like a splash of pomegranate juice, like a splash. But you want the salt. When we are working out and when we feel like what we feel is low blood sugar or low energy, it's not. It's low minerals. Interesting. Boom. Yeah. Like I know. electrolytes. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. So, Maddie, I'm going to recommend around um, 4 or 5 p.m. start sipping on water, lemon and lime juice, maybe squeeze some orange juice, some pomegranate juice, like a fresh squeeze orange juice, pomegranate juice you probably can't squeeze fresh. Um, just whatever is, you know, lying around the office just to give it a little bit of flavor, um, and, uh, pink Himalayan sea salt. And you listeners just trust me on this one. Trust me because this is something I learned and it's something that, first of all, it kills your hunger. So if you're hungry, the, the minerals kill it. Most of the time when we're hungry, we're actually just low, low electrolytes, low minerals and low, low water. This kills it. Then you have your workout your body is dipping, you're, you're energized, you're vibrant, your body's not digesting anything, you have a killer workout, and then you go home. This is where it's tricky because you're hungry and you've just worked out and you want to eat a big meal. This is where I have to say, go to sleep dreaming of breakfast. Eat a light dinner. Eat a light dinner that night and try to keep it lower on the carbohydrates. So if you just did all this good for your body, you just did this electrolyte drink and you just had a great workout, give your body a chance to just let the, the, its own hormones do its thing. Give your body a chance to burn its own fat. Give your body a chance to burn its own fat. The thing that is going to block your body from burning its own fat is carbohydrates. That's going to cut it. I'm not saying don't eat carbs in day-to-day life. I would never say that. I'm saying in this type of situation, when you are getting home so late at night and you're about to lie down or you're about to sit on your couch or you're about to relax and go into relaxation sleep mode, cut the carbs. So just don't eat bread. Eat that in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have it tomorrow morning. Um, So go for things like go high in fat. So get avocado, like salmon, olive oil, um, nuts, and have that with a protein. We think we have this idea in our heads. We have to replenish our carbs. We have to replenish our carbs. We don't actually. We need to just give our body its own chance to dip into its fat burning source. For your body to continue burning its own fat, we need to eat more fat. So my recommendation, sum it all up in this tag feature, which I could probably do an entire episode on, to be honest with you. To sum it all up, if you have an evening workout, don't eat a granola bar beforehand. Have a drink that's a ton of water, lemon, lime juice, maybe a fresh squeeze orange juice into it, some pomegranate juice, a ton of Himalayan pink sea salt. I think like six grinds of it. Um, Himalayan pink sea salt. Chug that. It's, you're going to be shocked at what happens. Work out. You're going to have the best workout of your life. And then have a high fat, high protein um, dinner afterwards. Semantics. We have to almost associate the fat and food. We have to disassociate it from the fat on our bodies because they're two completely separate things. Um, And have a light, light, light dinner. Go to sleep dreaming of breakfast. I love it. Does it have to be pink sea salt? What if I only have regular sea salt? Sea salt is good. Yeah, anything that's just just the good sea salt because that is what has the trace minerals in it. And I think what you're saying is important, which is that it's not that like you can't eat late at night. It's yeah. the, because we're all going to have nights where we have to. Yeah. But uh, on the nights where you have to eat later, um, if you're working on, um, you know, reducing body fat or even just like reducing the stress on your digestive system. Yeah, that too. That just, uh, it's okay to eat later. Just make it lighter when you yeah. have to. And yeah. lighter in terms of like not being like it's, a super carby. Right, right. It's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like in this type of situation, um, Instead of viewing it, uh, we have to flip our viewpoint. Instead of thinking of deprivation or, mm-hmm. oh, tonight I can't have this and I can't have that and I am forcing myself to not eat this, but I want to eat that. We have to flip our mentality of it and we have to think of it as, this is what my body needs right now. 
and I'm going to have better quality of sleep if my body is not digesting carbohydrates mm -hmm. and if it's just kind of you know processing fat and my hormones are going to be better balanced if so we almost have to flip our relationship in these certain instances because I really do feel like for the most part the whole eating late at night thing is something that across the board I have struggled with um, something that I've really dove down the rabbit hole with in terms of my research and my questions that I have raised and um, who I have you know spoken to and the researchers and scientists and everything that I have completely just nerded out over. And really, we have to view this relationship as I'm going to be up in eight hours. I'm going to wake up in nine hours. I get to eat again in nine hours, so I don't need this instant gratification right now of a carb-heavy meal and dessert as a reward for this workout, mm -hmm. okay? So it's it's all mindset. Totally. Yeah. And, like, I think before you've described having, like, um, you know, doing, like, a fried egg with, like, mm -hmm. avocado and salsa yeah. on, like, a corn tortilla yeah. or something mm -hmm. like that. To me, that sounds totally delicious. Right? Like, I wouldn't yeah. be sad to come home and eat that after working yeah. out. And it's not, like, hard to prepare. And it's okay to just have one. Like, mm -hmm. if it's dinner... We don't need two eggs and a and a avocado and um, and uh, two two corn tortillas. That's a perfectly acceptable dinner. Mm -hmm. Having three tacos for dinner, yeah, that's fine. But you're about to go to bed, and you also don't need any more energy because your workout's done. Mm -hmm. Like we have this thing, like oh, we're gonna we're gonna our muscles are gonna eat away at themselves. No, they're not. Your muscles don't eat away at themselves at all. That's actually a completely completely um it takes a lot longer like we're talking like 21 days of like no food for your muscles to eat away at themselves one night is not going to kill you you know mm -hmm. so um having that light dinner think of it as a way of nourishing yourself versus de deprivation totally yeah uh thanks daphne thank you and thanks for your question maddie yeah thank you maddie love you Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shaw-Flam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Just One More Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Just One More Podcast, or you can email us at info at Just One More Podcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.